I'm going to go on the floor. I don't need to be up here with you. Well, Mexico team, welcome back. <laughs> We're glad to see you guys. So, you guys just spent 10 days down in Chihuahua, Mexico. And... Do I need to? And we would just love to hear. You guys did a lot while you were down there, um, but one of the main things you did was you put on a pastor's retreat um, for some of the local CMA pastors down in that area. Hung out with the kids, um, uh, different missionaries from, I think, Wyoming came, and they taught a lot of the pastors, just poured into them. Uh, then you guys were staying at a camp in Rio Chico, which is kind of a home base for missions, and is a Bible camp in the summer, and you guys did a lot of work projects there. And then we imagine that God was doing some things in your own heart as well, aside from just the things done with your hands. And so I would just love to hear kind of those three things. And so first would... Whoever is willing to share about the retreat, just tell us um, what exactly happened at the pastor's retreat this last year. I'll, I'll start us off, and then we can, yeah, <laughs> we'll trade off. Um, yeah, so this year, uh, like in years past, we went to um, the retreat where all the pastors uh, in that region of Mexico um, go, and just to be, like, filled and uh, to... Um, yeah, to be treated well and to <laughs> learn more about um, our uh, father. Um, and so uh, we went there to help with uh, the kids' ministry. Um, and so on the screen you can see, uh, the, what was her name again? Do you remember? <laughs> Anyways, her sister was named Luna, and her sister is very chatty, and we were best friends. Um, but yeah, so we went, we did some lessons, and we uh, played with a lot of bubbles. Uh, Joanna, that's Joanna. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so last year we had 99 kids uh, that we were... Um, kind of in charge of, and this year, we had 20. So we were, like, overly prepared. We were like, okay, we have to get get everything together. We have to be, like, so prepared for this, and then we had 20 kids. <laughs> so we had four people, 20 kids, uh, which was really nice because that meant that Lindsay uh, and Antonia and Tina and I could all go enjoy um, what was happening inside with the pastors and stuff too. And just like every single year, here they are, some of the pastors uh, that were at this retreat. But every year, they just like have the most amazing time of prayer. Um, they are so faithful to um, praying for one another. Um, and every year, it's like so amazing to see. <laughs> at one point, I was like, I was outside with the kids, and then I was like, I'm just gonna go check and see like what's going on inside. And I walked in there, and immediately I just wanted to cry. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and then, and then I, I walked right out because I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's too much for me. Um, that so just like the spirit of God was really there and present with them, and so it was really nice to see. I have my own now. Yeah, it was just a really encouraging time. I know, uh, I guess it was like two or three weeks ago at this point, I was asked, we were asked along the lines of like, what do you expect from the kids retreat? And we're like, I don't know, maybe 100 kids again. And so that's why we were so overly prepared. And then I even said three weeks ago, I was like, maybe God has a sense of humor and he'll say, haha, you're prepared. I'm going to give you 20 kids instead of 100. And then he did. So yeah, we were overly prepared and that was really nice. Like Emily said, we just got to like feel like we had our head in the game instead of our head off of the game. Um, it was really encouraging. And I was just thinking about this morning while I was getting ready, um, you know, that we're going to be talking today and like, what did I learn about the retreat? and the kids, and I was just stopped mid, mid mascara. I was like, whoa, spiritual epiphany. Um, <laughs> I was just like, it was such an encouragement from God that in the middle of our busyness and, you know, I just, I kind of, I felt disappointed and I realized I was pride of like, I wanted to feel so accomplished and ready. I'm like, oh, I'm a good missionary. I'm like on top of it all. And, but just realizing it's, I mean, it's God's plan. It's God's retreat. And he's going to bring who he wants for those days. And if last year was 100 kids and I was humbled 
where I've never been before <laughs> and would prefer not to be again. Um, and this year was just much more sense of peace. Like, I don't know, it was just really nice to, it's God's plan, God's retreat, his time. It's not my trip, it's his trip. And I was just, yeah, spiritual epiphany in the bathroom this morning. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Camp? Camp? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, that was a little bit about the retreat, I guess just a little bit of the timeline. Um, so we drove down over the weekend and we crossed the border on Monday. Uh, the town we were staying at is called Rio Chico. And so we spent Monday traveling and then Tuesday and Wednesday were the retreat days. And um, sort of we split up then, but after that we were basically just at Rio Chico. Uh, and Wednesday through Saturday, we were just uh, working on projects there. And the primary project that we worked on, um, we were planning to initially do two. Uh, we were thinking about, uh, they have like a little kitchen there that they use to you know, feed people, obviously, when uh, they're hosting people like us. Uh, and we were going, planning to expand that initially. Um, but then um, we were also planning to expand their chapel because this facility is also used for summer camps uh, so like last year, I think was the first year they'd done it since COVID. And I think they had over like 300 kids there. Um, so it's a huge facility and the chapel room that they did have was just not big enough to support that many children. So we were working on expanding the chapel. And like I said, we were planning to do the two, but then it became evident that really um, we were going to do the kitchen because they thought, like the Mexicans thought we wanted to do the kitchen. And we sort of just had a moment of humility and just realizing, man, that would be a shame to like do that project just because it's something we want to do and it's not what they want to do and not something that they'll actually get benefit from. So that's what we ended up switching gears toward, uh, toward, toward the beginning of the week. Thankfully, we didn't have to do any <laughs> work on the kitchen. We were just able to focus on the chapel the whole time. So yeah, th there you see just some pictures. I mean, we're shifting or uh, sifting some sand to get uh, to make some mortar for laying some bricks. And I think, I don't know if they made it, I added them this morning, but there's like a before and after picture. I don't know, it might be toward the end or something. May not be, that's okay. Um, well, there, there's our whole team, so that's cool to see as well. Uh, there's the eight of us and then five other people from, um, four of them from Staples, Minnesota, and then one from Cheyenne, Wyoming, but yeah. Uh, something that was like really a huge blessing to us this year was um, like last year we had no translators and so everything that we did was just like broken Spanglish like we we're just trying and trying to like figure out what we we're supposed to do um, but this year if you go back to that previous picture um, we had uh, four people that spoke English and Spanish and they were just there for us. <laughs> um, they were there to cook, but they were also there just to like be with us and to um, help us with translations and stuff. And so that was like a huge blessing. Um, the three younger, I think they're all in the front, but uh, they they were so great and they helped us like tremendously the whole time. And so it was really good to get to know all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it was. Yeah, no, it was such a blessing because we also got to have like a lot of deeper conversations with them. And like on Sunday night, we had like this singing session. We had the singing session and prayer session that was just really special um, to worship the same God with them. Um, but I guess just to wrap up, the, the actual work that we did, um, if there's no picture, there was basically this area that they had started to expand the chapel. So they had poured this foundation for, uh, for the wall and then um, put up some rebar cages. Um, but that was done like years ago, like before even our first group went down. Um, so we were essentially picking up where they left off. You can kind of see that area behind us is where, um, where the expansion's going. We're all sitting right next to the wall that we, so we built this concrete wall and then laid the brick. And then you can see there, there's like a little heart, heart stone, um, <laughs> which I think Emily found. And so we just wanted to place that there and uh, pray over the space as like um, a way to dedicate it for the Lord and just ask that he would do great things through that. 
yeah, loves the cornerstone. <laughs> um, I know cheesy. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, we did, this is, what, this is like the finished product of where we ended up getting. Um, and we ended up hiring some people to finish the work while we're gone, and hopefully they'll have this ready for July. Um, but it was just so special to be able to work on this with them and just, you know, even just working alongside the Mexicans is just so fun to banter with them and uh, just know that we're working on the same things for the same Lord again. So, yeah, that's a little bit about what we did at camp. Yeah, so when we first got there, um, we kind of did a tour of the whole, I mean, the whole compound and the, um, went down by the dam and saw the greenhouse and went up to the orchard and everything. And it, it was apparent that a lot of the things that had been done in the past hadn't been that well taken care of or anything. And so my heart at first when we were there was like, why, why are we here? You know, are we just spinning our wheels? Like nothing's being taken care of. And, um, and then at the end of the week, it was like, I know why we're here, you know? It doesn't matter the projects we get done, and I think it was Jim that actually said this, it's like, it's, it doesn't matter the projects we get done or how hard we work, it's about the, the relationships and the people. So yeah, um, yeah, when those first couple days, I was like, well, yeah, this will be great to do, but I don't know if we'll, you know, ever do this again or anything, but... It was really hard to leave, so saying those goodbyes were really hard, so, and now we're already, yeah, we're going back, so. <laughs> um, another thing was the, I don't know, when we were having Taco Tuesdays and stuff, I said one of my main goals for going down there was not to make anyone cry, so <laughs> I accomplished that, but I mean, oh, I didn't? No, you, you gave your testimony and I Okay. <laughs> um, one thing that, I mean, I did a lot of crying while I was down there. I mean, especially when we were in church, just to, I mean, during worship in, at, the, at the pastor's retreat and then on, uh, on Sunday in Rio Chico, it was like, wow. I mean, we're so different from these people. There's a language barrier, but... We all worship the same God, you know? It was just all that stuff melted away, and yeah, we served the same God. And I think it was one of our last, might have been our third work day, um, me and Joey had a conversation. I don't know, I was pretty beat up by then. I was bruised and broken and tired, and, um, and me and Joey were talking about just how, like, this is good exhaustion. This is complete submission and servitude to our Lord that we're down here. And just that, that feeling, you know, helped me get through that, that last day of work anyways. So, anybody else? No? Last chance? <laughs> well, if not, I just want to thank you guys for going on this trip, um, for going down there to pour into those who are down there serving God. And I just want to thank the rest of the church um, for supporting, uh, because these guys were supported well financially in prayer and just all the encouragement that they had leading up to it. And I'm, I just want to read a message that uh, Jim sent this last week as kind of a post-trip update that he sent out to the entire district to a bunch of other churches. And first thing, he just said thanks to everybody for their continued support um, on reaching out to those who are working um, with the tribes of the Sierra Madres. Um, he just said it was a great time of mutual encouragement and blessing. And then he really said that there were four words that seemed to describe the Mexican church in that area, which is a very remote, uh, mountainous area. He said the four words that would really describe the Mexican church down there right now is alive, passionate, growing, and sacrificial. He says, with no fanfare, these Christians continue to build the kingdom of God, serving precious people in obscure places, and faithfully living out the gospel of Jesus. And then he just mentioned how one of the things that he had a whole list of stories, but one of the things that's been really encouraging is just the amount of fruit that's produced. Um, that there are people groups down there um, who just first heard the name Jesus uh, within the last decade, and now there are hundreds of believers down there. 
Um, there's a guy who was in one of the pictures way back at the pastor's retreat, Domingo, um, who was the first person in his entire people group uh, to become a Christian, and now he's a pastor, and now he is just continuing to reach out to those people, and, and Jim says that he's kind of a modern-day Apostle Paul in that way. Um, but he just continues to encourage us that the fruit continues to abound, that congregations are being formed and church buildings are being built. Um, and this is true particularly among the Taramara tribe, um, where hundreds have become followers of Jesus. And he says it's always a blessing to see the huge impact that short-term teams coming down and visiting them and encouraging them can have on them. Um, and just these people who are pouring their hearts out, really suffering for Jesus in a real way, uh, being able to know that their brothers and sisters in South Dakota, Wyoming, and Montana, uh, worship the same God and are supporting them in the work that they're doing. He just says that those people are so encouraged. And so as we continue to pray for those people down there, um, Jim said that there are really three things that we can pray for. Um, pray for continued fruit, uh, that people will continue to come to know Jesus down there. Um, pray for the pastors as they continue to just pour their lives out, as they continue to face a lot of opposition in this area. Just pray for encouragement, pray for courage, pray for strength, and pray that the Spirit would be working in them in ways that only He can. And then he said to pray for a new tractor, uh, because they have uh, corn, wheat, they have an orchard, they have a lot going on, and the tractor broke while you guys were there, um, or right before? Okay, the year before. And so the harvest is kind of... Uh, had issues. They, I think they lost about $80,000 in harvest this last year because um, they were just behind productivity-wise because they didn't have a tractor. And so they're praying and asking for help with raising money for a new tractor. And so that's going to be another thing that we'll be praying for as we pray for that mission down there. And so with that, can I have one of you um, just pray over Mission Mexico and everybody down there as we now transition into our time of teaching. So Chris, thanks for volunteering. Uh, would you just continue to uh, um, just thank God for the work that he's done and would you pray uh, for all the people that you have come to know so well. So would you join us and bow your heads. Lord, I just thank you for another great year in Mexico. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to just share faith with our Mexican brothers and sisters. Um, that as a lot of these people we've seen year after year and uh, we've gotten to see Christ grow the church in Mexico. Um, as well as in our hearts, that you can just continue to foster this relationship. Um, that it's not just about the projects and the buildings, but it is all about the people. Um, Lord, I just ask for, I just pray for a new tractor, and I pray for the hearts of um, the people in these areas, especially these incredibly remote areas, um, where there might just be one Christian there who's... Um, trying to bring many hearts to you. Um, Lord, I ask for just prayers for some of these people who are in incredibly dangerous areas um, where the message they bring is not the message that wants to be heard, um, that they can just continue working and striving to bring you um, to these people who need you so badly. Um, so, Lord, I just ask you to continue to foster this relationship, um, to bring our hearts closer to you and bring their hearts closer to you. I bring these things to you in your name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, guys. Can we uh, give a round of applause for this team as they went? I'll just read my way through the people here. Look at all the people. Thank you, uh, missions team. I, I, I'm a little bit disappointed, though, because you, so, some of you have seen the rooster picture, right? Yeah. With Chris holding the rooster. We don't have a picture of him holding a rooster, but I did get a quick clip of a video of Chris holding an accordion. Now the accordion king of common ground. 
Okay, well, hopefully the mic works out okay. Uh, Evan's head is shaped a particular way, and mine is shaped normal. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, back, well, yeah, vice versa. So it tends to want to move around on, on my weird noggin that I have here. Um, so uh, let me just get right into, uh, into this. Uh, about, oh man, over close, yeah, it was over 20 years ago, uh, I was filling my teaching gig uh, in the summers because we only get paid nine months out of the year and it's pretty hard to live uh, spreading that across nine months, let alone 12 months. So I would have to find a job in the summer. And one summer I found a job building pole barns you know, sinking these big old posts into the ground and girding them up and then covering them with metal and all, all that kind of thing. And one of the jobs that we had was uh, near Douglas, Wyoming, down in this canyon, all right? And, and this, this, this job was, it was a big barn, and it was horrendous because uh, for some reason the temperatures were going up to around 105 degrees in, in the middle of Wyoming there. And uh, we went out to work one day, and as, as the course of the day went on, uh, all of us, there's about four of us on the crew, we began to lose articles of clothing, because we were just that hot, all right? So now, yeah, we weren't using tight, you know, fall restraints or any of these things, you know. OSHA doesn't come into the middle of Wyoming, because if they did, they'd get shot. And uh, so... <laughs> You know, so we're climbing up there in these things, and you know the t-shirts are off, and, and and we got our tool belts on and things, and we're just working like crazy. I looked up on the bluff, and there was these buzzards just perched on the bluff watching us. You know, like which, who's going to be the first one to go, kind of thing. And uh, and we're having this conversation about how incredibly hot hot it was, and. Um, Bobby, this 20-year-old something, I was in my 40s then, uh, he's like, man, that's it, I'm just going down to nothing. And I'm like, no, please don't, man, just don't do that. Well, when we, we had to take a water break, so we sat down, the whole crew's sitting there, and we're eating applesauce and sucking down water and everything, and Bobby said, whose idea was clothes anyway? You know, it was just, it was just dumb kind of thing. And uh, our crew boss, you know, who was the, the elderly wise man amongst us there, he just looked up at Bobby and said, well, Bobby, did you ever consider there might be some people you didn't want to see naked? And Bobby went, clothes are good. Yeah, clothes are a good thing. <laughs> so um, today I want to talk about the naked truth as we move into part six of Biblia Obscura. Um, all of scripture is inspired by God and it is useful to teach us something, uh, to reprove us, to correct us, to train and equip us to be fully outfitted in our service and our walk with, with God. And today we're going to look at a strange couple of passages and see if we can put that all together. But let's pray. Father, as I stand here before you, I stand uh, with nothing to hide. And the same is true of everybody sitting in here. We, we cannot hide ourselves from you. We are laid bare before you. And uh, Lord, you know our lives, you know our hearts, you know the intentions of, of my heart even better than I do. And uh, so Lord, I just pray that uh, it would be your spirit speaking through your word to us, and that you would give us understanding, that you would turn the lights on in places where maybe things are dark and things have been hidden from us, and that you would help us, Lord, to walk uh, forth from this place uh, with a deeper knowledge of you, a deeper knowledge of, of salvation, uh, a deeper knowledge of our Savior, uh, and with that knowledge, Lord, an increased love and an increased heart and passion that would be yours and yours alone. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, Exodus chapter 20. It's, uh, you know, it's in your Bible. It's up there on the screen, uh, some of it. Uh, I was studying the, uh, the Exodus, and uh, God was given Moses the Ten Commandments up on the mountain, along with all the other instructions that would make Israel a nation set apart uh, to represent God to all the other people groups around the world. And, and then I, I read this text. So here's how it goes. The Lord said to Moses in verse 22, uh, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. 
You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep, your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and, and bless you. Now, God was also going to give instructions to Moses about the, uh, the bronze altar that sits in the tabernacle, which was part of the whole process of sinful men being able to be uh, in the presence of a holy God. And it really would be good if we did that one in this series at some point if we could. But, um, but anyway, God also allowed also uh, other altars, uh, especially when a theophany would occur, when God would appear uh, to somebody, it was quite common for them to take some stones and set up a, a very low altar on the ground there to remember and usually give that place a name that had something to do with who God is. And so that's the instructions he's, he's given to Moses there. In verse uh, 25, uh, God says, if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. So it's got to be just a natural rock uncut. And then, you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Okay? I'm really nervous about talking about this particular passage while I'm standing about three feet up in the air. I've, I've hated this part of our of our congregation, our, our setting here, our sanctuary is is that we up here towering over you kind of thing because we really should be down on the ground uh, where you are because that's what God did. God came down to the ground when He took on flesh and dwelt amongst us, and uh, and and there's a reason that God was giving this instruction, but it was just basically warning the person that you know with the robes they wore and things like that that, that when they got up suspended in the air um, that uh, people couldn't see up. The robes, and this is basically, I think, um, just my opinion, where we get the term butt naked from. Okay? Uh, I, I felt the squirm. There was a squirm there. I, I felt that. All right, now I want to read another passage uh, to help us understand this passage, because that's really the trick in, in Bible study, is uh, never just let one passage stand alone, because Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture. So 2 Samuel chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Uh, and after this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun his son reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally or faithfully to our alliance with Hanun the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent by, uh, sent by his servants to console him concerning his father, and David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. But the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun their lord, do you think, because David has sent comforters to you, that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanun took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. When it was told David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Remain at Jericho until your beards have grown, and, and then return. Okay, now there's again another strange little passage where David sends these people to, uh, to just uh, uh, add comfort. You know, David's expressing, I'm sorry that your father has died, this sort of thing. But all the, all the advisors, the princes of this land, tells the ruler that, oh no, he's here trying to spy on us so that he can come in and, and take over our city and overthrow us. And so, uh, so he then reacts to that by shaving off half their beards. I, I kind of thought about doing that, but that'd just be too gimmicky, and yeah. I mean, about a year ago, I shaved off my whole beard. Remember that? Yeah, holy cow. I thought, I thought the super volcano in, in Yellowstone was going to blow up or something because my face was naked, all right? People just can't handle my, my naked face. But I kind of felt the same way with Hunter. Uh, when you shaved your beard off, man, I was upset for about a month, you know. But look at that thing. It's, I wish I could grow a beard like that. Anyway, so there they are, half a beard, but even worse than that, they have nothing to wear from here down, okay? And they're marching home that way, publicly. 
And when David hears about it, he goes, whoa, we need to do something about that. Let's, let's but did you notice in that that David doesn't say anything about, would you guys please get a kilt or something? No, he's not worried about the beards and that. There's a, there's a little bit of a clue of something that comes in here. Um, I, I skipped over a slide. I just realized when I got into this, but uh, this will help us. Uh, Christine, I don't know if you can go back to that slide, but that picture from Bible Project. Uh, one of the keys that is very helpful for us in understanding the Bible, especially when we're dealing, dealing with really obscure stuff, is learning to recognize biblical themes. You know, the whole Bible is interconnected together. It's not this whole mass of a bunch of disconnected stories about this and that. It's God giving a clear communication all the way from uh, the Garden of Eden all the way to the new creation in the book of Revelation, and, and he's weaving kind of this tapestry together. And if you can begin to recognize the themes that are in the Bible, you're going to have a way bigger understanding of the Bible as you do that. So I did not put the video in here because we really don't have time to show you this video. It's about a six-minute video. But if you go to Bible Project, that's what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, go to that website. Uh, don't have as many tabs open on your browser as I do. Um, but, uh, but just go in and watch this. It's a great resource. Anything on Bible Project really is a great resource because basically what they're telling us is that the whole Bible is one unified story about Jesus Christ. And that's the story that, that we need to hear. So uh, what, we see, what we're seeing here is that throughout the Bible, there is a, uh, a theme of nakedness. Let me go to Genesis chapter 2 now. Uh, this is right after the creation of mankind. And uh, it says the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, uh, were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, here's, here's the first time we see, and really the only time in the Bible that we see the words naked and unashamed together. But something changed, something happened, and that's in Genesis chapter 3 when uh, Adam and Eve basically went to the tree that God forbade them, and what they were doing is they were seizing for themselves autonomy. That, that we don't need God to tell us what's right, what's wrong. We don't need God to run our lives. We will choose to do that for ourselves henceforth. And, and that was the moment that we often call the fall of mankind. And, uh, you know, and then you know, shortly after the fall, they realized something. They go, we don't have any clothes on. That was never an issue before, but now all of a sudden it's, it's, it's an issue. So they make themselves some uh, fruit of the loom with fig leaves. Okay, and they, they cover themselves up, and there's the Lego Bible, uh, and you can tell that this is a Western uh, illustration here because they, they give some extra clothing covering to Eve, which she probably did not have, right? There's a certain portion that they were hiding there. And, uh, well, then this happens in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. It says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, Well, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and, and I was afraid. Yeah, because I was, I was naked, and I, and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? <laughs> who told you that? How did you realize that? And, and God knew, you know, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And this really is the, the critical uh, verse for us to really understand what the Bible has to say about, about nakedness. Now, the word naked appears about 40 times throughout every major portion of the Bible. So it's a, like I said, it's a recurring theme. Uh, the word nakedness shows up 58 more times, uh, and it's everywhere between Genesis and, and Revelation. It appears as a noun, it appears as an adjective, and it also appears as a verb. The noun is etwa, and it means uh, its most commonly use is, is just simply to refer to shame. Okay, that nakedness equates shame in some way. Uh, the, the adjective, Adam, uh, means without covering. Okay, so if you have a 68 Chevy Impala, and that thing is just carried out, you know, candy, apple, red, gloss, paint job on it, and you leave it exposed to the weather, uh, then you have Aaron, your your 
your car, your classic car. You don't, you don't want to leave it without covering, right? We want to protect that. And then the verb is era, which sounds very similar to that. And that just means to make bare, to make bare, okay? There are a lot of babies around here. Okay, there goes one now. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we don't even think twice about the fact that we go, whoa, what is that horrid smell? You know, no, it's not me. It must be the baby. And, you know, we, we take the diaper off, you know, and there they are in all their glory and that sort of thing. You've got to watch where they're aiming and things like that while you're changing, changing the diaper. We've, we've made them bare when we have done that. Okay, so here's the second point uh, that I want to make beyond learning biblical themes, and, uh, and, and that is the fact that in our culture, in the United States of America, in Western culture in particular, we have this illegitimate marriage between nakedness and sex. Okay, that, that, that's why whenever I mention, mention the word naked, we all here can't help but act like eighth grade boys. <laughs> He's naked. You know, we get this little squirmy feeling when we talk about it. And that's because our culture is so inundated with sex that we don't know how to talk about nakedness without associating it to that. And, and what happened uh, throughout Western Christianity is this prudishness developed as a result of that. You can have a spectrum of pornography way over here and prudishness way over here. And then pretty soon Christians are talking about, well, she can't show her ankles. That would be indecent. Okay? And, uh, and then we just, yeah, we go and we go and we go uh, about bodily exposure. And that's all we talk about. And this is what happens in, in this kind of a culture is modesty now becomes about somehow hiding our bodies when in reality the biblical idea of modesty has always been inward. It's always been about character. And you can imagine what that did on, on when mission trips, <laughs> missionaries would go into some country and they'd meet a people group and uh, parts of them aren't covered. And Christians are telling them, you need to cover that up because it's making me uncomfortable. And then we confuse these people about what the Bible's really saying about some things. I think a lot of us are, are, are really confused about it. Um, I, I've been doing some work with a, with a ministry called Pure Desire, and what Pure Desire exists to do is to help both men and women to overcome addictions, uh, you know, sex addictions, pornography addictions, and things like that. And I was looking at one of their resources, and here's what the author said. Whenever a society is trained to interpret the sight of the unclothed body as a sexual event, it produces a pornographic view of the body. This sex-focused perception targets the nude body for sexploitation. Pornography thrives on this wedding of sexual stimulation to nakedness. When churches blindly tie the knot, teaching that God ordained this conceptual marriage between sex and nakedness, they unwittingly foster a pornified culture. Such blindness is self-perpetuating, for it keeps Christians from seeing that most occasions of nudity in Scripture are completely non-sexual. And then he develops this term of porno prudery uh, from that. So here's, here's another key for reading the Bible and understanding what we're reading. Okay? We must read the Bible without cultural filters. Okay? We, we can't take our Western way of thinking and try to make the Bible somehow conform to our culture. What we have to do is the hard work, and that is to understand the culture that, the, that the, uh, the scripture was originally written in and written, written for, all right? So the purpose of clothing in the Bible was never to hide the body, but to protect it from the elements or else to adorn it officially or aesthetically, okay? That was it. It wasn't about hiding something dirty, you know, or, or that kind of thing. Uh, in many cases, it was not uncommon in the Bible for men, women, and children to be exposed to the elements in full sight of others and remain without any kind of sexual connotation. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm not going to ask who has walk-in closets, okay? But walk-in closets are everywhere, right, in, in our homes. Uh, we have a walk-in closet, and I walk in to my closet, and I go, where did all these clothes come from? 
Okay, I mean, well, seriously, I mean, how many shirts do I really need to have? Why do I, have, look at all these pants that I have. Now my wife buys me new pants to go to school in and then I never wear them, so I'm always in trouble. I have so many pants. There are some people that walk in, I mean, I had a friend once show me, hey, you wanna see our walk-in closet? And I'm like, okay. So he shows me, he goes, this is my wife's half of the closet and this is my wife's other half of the closet. <laughs> and yeah, you're like, oh wow. So we live in a culture wear clothes yeah man you can get clothes anywhere you can get clothes all the time clothes on sale clothes that you can order your clothes and and send them back when they don't fit all this sort of thing in the bible clothing was expensive okay uh, totally different from what we know a single garment might be all that a working class person owned in fact jesus had one set of threads to his name and that they tore from him when they took him to the cross and gambled over it. I mean, that, that soldiers would gamble over a poor carpenter's tunic tells you clothing had an extreme value to it. So for the poor, literal nakedness and the coldness it brought were realistic possibilities. And that's why you see so often in the Bible this, this tone of compassion that God gives, feed the hungry Give water to those who are thirsty. Visit the prisoners. Clothe the naked. Okay, that's not God saying, well, you need to go down to the local strip bar and, uh, and tell them to put some clothes on. That's not at all what he was saying. There are people that were literally without threads upon their body uh, to protect them. Now, an outfit's combined financial and practical value uh, made it a logical possession for some people to take as a pledge. It became collateral. Okay, well, you, you have a debt to pay. Shouldn't have been gambling. You know, should have stayed out of the casinos. I'll tell you what, I will help you work off that debt, but to make sure you stay here to work off that debt, you have to cough up the tunic. Give it here. And so it was, again, not uncommon for people to work through the heat of the day uh, much like Bobby wanted to on that barn, uh, without any clothing. And they, they did that until they were able to work off the debt that they owed. You see, once we, ex we understand the extreme value that clothing has, and that it's not for hiding our anatomy, but it's for protecting our bodies, then we begin to understand the many, many, many biblical references uh, to that, that, that are made to shame in regards to nakedness. And almost always, there are some places where, you know, there was a sexual connotation to these things, but almost always in the Bible, naked shame is always relating to clothing being taken or, or lost in the context of coercion, military defeat, or poverty. Okay? Both physical and spiritual. So when we come across these words where it talks about being made naked in the Bible, it, again, doesn't have a sexual connotation to it necessarily. It's more than likely clothing taken away or lost in the context of coercion, military defeat, or poverty. Let's just bundle that all up into the effects of sin. Okay? So the sight of the body's exposure uh, happened for several reasons. Sometimes it was work. Okay, we read about it in John 21. Simon Peter stripped down to fish. All right? And nobody had to feel squirrely about that. It was normal. Uh, sometimes in a prophetic role, Isaiah went about streaking <laughs> as part of a message that God was giving to uh, Israel to to reveal their spiritual nakedness that was there. And nobody came and said, oh, Isaiah, you got to quit doing that. There are children on the street, and they're going to think bad thoughts about sex if you do that. No, no one ever corrected him for that because that wasn't even an issue. And then there was outdoor bathing, okay? Uh, we Westerners like to put Bathsheba up on the roof, hidden behind a screen or something like that, and the only reason that David saw her was because he was on a more elevated roof and he was able to see over the screen or something. No, it was pretty common to bathe. 
publicly. The Egyptians did it too. That's when they found Moses floating, floating down the water. And again, that was part of their culture. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't mess with them that much. It didn't. I guess I just got to say it this way: is that sometimes when we read the Bible, we have our brains in the gutter, and people weren't doing that when it was written. If I go back to one of the most public cases of mass nudity in the Bible, did you know there was such a thing? It's in Second Samuel. I'm sorry, Second Chronicles, chapter 28. There's two kingdoms of Israel, They're, they split, okay, we have the northern tribes making up Israel proper, and then we have the southern tribes, only two of them making up Judah. And Israel completely forsook the Lord and went away from them, the southern tribe, Judah, kind of stuck with them until they went the way of Israel. Well, at some point, there was civil war between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and Israel took over 200,000 men, women, and children captive and were marching them north to Samaria. Okay? 200,000 people. And nobody was having a dirty thought about them as they did that. But God had some thoughts. And so God sent a prophet to Israel and said, this shall not be. You cannot do this. You need to stop right now and you need to find clothing for those people and cover them up. And so they did. Now, was there shame involved in this? Absolutely. But not the shame that modern-day Western Christians often attribute to them. Uh, the shame that we find most often uh, here is poverty and defeat. The shame of poverty and defeat. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve were experiencing in the garden when they decided to usurp God's position and take it for themselves. Sin had completely defeated them, and they were completely stripped of that incredible position that God created them for. In that moment, we see the defilement of the image of God. And that was the shame that they felt. That was the shame of a person ascending up into an altar and exposing himself as he did that because the main thing behind that wasn't the exposure. The main thing was that person had no business up on that altar because that was God's place. You see, they're just repeating the shame of Adam and Eve. And when the men left from the Ammonites ashamed because of what was happening to them, they were ashamed because they were sent home defeated and impoverished. So here's the third point. A life without Jesus is a naked life. If you have no relationship with Jesus Christ right here, you can be dressed to the nines, dressed in layers, all of those things, but you are naked before God. Okay? The shame of sin is laid bare before the eyes of God, and it requires a suitable covering. You see, when God saw what Adam and Eve did to try to hide their shame, he said, that's not going to work. First big windstorm, and that's going to be gone. So God himself, by his own hand, killed an animal. And Adam and Eve had to stand there and watch this whole process when, when this animal that had nothing to do with their shame and their sin took their place and died a bloody death. And they watched God skin that animal, ripping it off of its carcass, and then fashioning clothing that would cover them. Not because there was anything sexual going on, but because there was another kind of shame that was happening there. Do you realize that that's so easy to miss in the Bible? One of the most common themes in the Bible is God pointing towards the cross. And this is one of the first times he points to the cross. A sacrifice had to be made to cover the shame and poverty, the defeat of their sin. For us today, Christ 
covers our nakedness. He, he covers our, our spiritual poverty. He covers the shame of any sin that we have committed because we can't shed it ourselves. We can't get rid of ourselves. We can't hide it ourselves. We cannot cover ourselves. So Christ came to do just that. Uh, Romans chapter 5 says, Blessed is he whose sins are covered. Blessed is he whose sins are covered. And then Romans also says, By the blood of Jesus Christ. It's, it's blood that's actually the first layer that has to be applied to us. I, I want to read a, a passage out of, uh, out of Isaiah 61 uh, where uh, Isaiah wrote, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and he has covered me with robes of righteousness. And again, that's Isaiah pointing out to exactly what Jesus Christ was going to do because by being nailed to a Roman cross, naked, and shedding his own blood, Jesus was providing our covering, our righteousness that we don't have in ourselves. And that's why we as Christians today can, like Isaiah, greatly rejoice in the Lord, exult in the name of the Lord our God. But I would also say that if there was anybody that says, wow, I did not realize I was so naked before God, that today you would see that Jesus is the covering, that Jesus is the one that hides the shame forever. In the book of Revelation, we have this picture that's given to us. And again, remember, this is just a picture. Uh, you know, if you take it literal, it's going to be really weird. But, but here's, the, here's the picture that's given to those who stand in the presence of God when the new heavens and the new earth come, uh, or just prior to that, uh, in the last days. Uh, John says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then later on it says, who are these? And then in, in Revelation 7, verse 14, first part of our last part of it answers it this way, uh, these are those that have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. What? See how you can't take that literally? You put white stuff in blood, you don't drink, you, you, yeah, it don't get white. But through Jesus, though our skin, sins would be as scarlet, they become white as snow. White as snow. So that's really what this whole theme of nakedness points to, is that, yeah, it's a sign to a shame, not the shame we often think of, but it also points to Jesus, who covers every sin with his blood, with his righteousness. To become a Christian means to be clothed in salvation. And that's what we get to celebrate uh, here as we uh, prepare our hearts now uh, for communion. So, Evan, I'm going to invite you up, uh, pray, and then we'll, uh, and then we'll commune. <laughs> All right. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for a Savior who, through his sacrifice, replacing us, taking our place, has covered any shame that we might feel. And Lord, that's my prayer right now, is that if, if there's anyone here that has any sense of shame over something, uh, that God, they would not seek anybody but you and you alone in the blood of Jesus Christ for that to be washed away to that be transferred from a, a dark blot or a, or a crimson stain into glowing white robes of, ro of righteousness so God I pray you see our souls before you today naked 
with nothing hidden from you. But Lord, I also pray you see our souls here before you today, covered by one thing and one thing alone, and that is the finished work of Jesus Christ upon that cross. Pray this in your name. Amen. something that we who believe in Jesus do um, to just rehearse that covering that he gave us on the cross. His body broken for us. His blood covering over our sin. The, the leaves that didn't truly cover but needed to be covered were covered by the sacrifice of Christ. It's just as God made animal skin coverings for them, pointing to the day when Jesus finally would do that. And so now we look back on that day. And so I'm going to invite you uh, forward. We have two stations in the front and then there's one in the back by the giving box. I'm going to invite you to come and we can grab the cup with the bread and the wine and return to your seat. Um, but just as we sing the first line of the song, don't open the communion or take it yet. Uh, but would you just reflect uh, before we begin just on the sins in your own heart that needed to be covered. And I'll take this as an opportunity to confess to God, to search your heart, that all was exposed before the Lord, but would you just confess to him the sins in your own lives that we attempt to cover, that needed to be covered by Christ. And so with that, I'm going to invite you forward to grab the elements, and would you just return to your seats and spend a moment in prayer of confession to God.
hearts. Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks and he offered it to him, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So now would you drink it?
around. I hope you hang around for the potluck right after this. And, and if you're going, well, I, I didn't bring any food. It's okay. You're covered. All right. So I hope you all will make Psalm 34 uh, a psalm that you read and meditate upon throughout this week. I just want to read a portion to it, beginning with verse 4 is our benediction. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Amen. Go in peace. Have a blessed week coming around.